0: This episode of the new CISO is sponsored by Sentinel One. Sentinel One delivers autonomous endpoint protection through a single agent that successfully prevents, detects, and responds to attacks across all major vectors. Learn more at sentinelone.com. Training people the way we seem to want to do is a negative reinforcement model that simply gets to the point if you take it to its extreme that everybody says, well, I'm just not gonna open anything. So I can reduce the number, but the question is not whether I reduce the malware. The question is, is what business did I lose because of that reduction of malware?
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face and how they overcome them. I'm Steve Moore, and on today's show, I sit down with David Tyberski, Chief Information Security Officer at Wynn Resorts to talk about security training, specifically phishing training. Is it really effective? Should we be doing it differently? He shares his thoughts on the idea of training versus education, positive reinforcement versus negative, suggestions for engaging with employees, and the best sushi in Las Vegas. If we believe that employees are our first line of defense against attacks, like phishing, credential theft, and business email compromise, we need their active participation. But when it comes to driving the right behavior, negative reinforcement only goes so far. How do we get our coworkers' buy-in that security truly starts with them, keep them on high alert to identify risky situations, and enable them to make wise security decisions without fear and without slowing down the business? David, tell me a little bit about your current role and how you got into that position, if you would, please. Sure.
0: I am currently the global CISO for Wynn Resorts, that small casino on the north end of the Strip in Las Vegas. About nine and a half years ago, Wynn put a directive to get more having a dedicated security focus in our our environment, in our organization. They basically handed it to me and for... The last nine and a half years, I have run this organization, building it from just me to uh, the organization it is today, managing all of our properties and operations worldwide.
1: David, what advice would you give yourself, your younger self, if you could tap yourself on the shoulder, if you will, and say, hey, make sure you do this or don't worry about that? What would that be?
0: If it's one thing is, is, I would say, be a little more attentive to the tool set that you bring in. We did a couple of false starts along the way. As far as buying tools, it became shelfware. And if we would have spent a little bit more time evaluating where we could really use them, we would have been in a better position in the early days. And we do that today by ensuring we have good, proper use cases for every tool that we bring in for every reason that we want to do it. And spend. if I was going to tell myself, spend more time on the use case so we know how to use it instead of just going to get it.
1: I couldn't agree more. I often see people in the field that are ready to spend a million dollars on something and the project team is unable to clearly articulate the reason.
0: Agreed. And that's why I said is, is understanding not just the reason you want it, but how you're really going to use it, what you expect from it, what are you going to put into it, and what do you expect to get out of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We spoke earlier and you mentioned something that irritated you, specifically about fishing. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What bothers you about phishing training specifically?
0: Well, it's not necessarily just all fishing training, but what bothers me is that we're, we're attempting to teach non-security professionals to be security professionals. They have backgrounds that are varied from us. They don't spend their time Looking at, at security incidents or reading on security articles, but they're extraordinarily talented people in other ways. Uh, you know, they're chefs and they're, they're games people and they're hotel operators, and they do a, an amazing job at what they do. But we as security professionals try to teach them well, you've got to know what I know so that when that email comes in, you've got to make a good, solid decision about what that back end is all about. And, and know how to look at the source of an email. And we try to do this with people who really don't have a background to understand. And I think as security professionals, we need to do a better job of understanding their role in the business and building technology and building a solution around that instead of trying to get them to understand our business.
1: Is it a cop-out that a security person would want to put together maybe quarterly training on how to spot a fish and then roll that out? Should that be something that we own more of and less of the end user? What do you think the right mix is there?
0: Yes, I think it's somewhat of a cop-out in the fact that if all we're doing is putting, and, and there's a major difference, by the way, between training and education. So we, we're very particular about that at, here at Win is that it's an education program because we're really not training people, we're educating. And there is no bad education. We want to give them the knowledge. We want to give them the information, but to turn around and then penalize them if they don't understand it or put them through a remedial class if they do the wrong thing. Or I even heard of one organization that if you basically became susceptible to a fish three times, you basically lost your job. And and I'm like, that's got to be the wrong way to handle it. We have to educate these people, but it's our responsibility to put in better processes, better tools, better functionality to protect them, as opposed to saying, you've got to learn how to be a security professional. You've got to learn how to do all the things that I can do and do your day job. I was speaking to another person, and I don't mean this to be super long-winded, but they were talking about the HR. We were discussing that, and HR's job and responsibility is to bring in people's resumes. How's that happen majority of the time? Via email. So we tell them from a business perspective to open a bunch of emails and open the attachments in it. And then security comes around and says, don't open those emails and don't open those attachments when you don't know where they come from. So we're confusing our employees. Do we teach them to do their job or teach them to not?
1: I think one of the things that this uncovers is there's a lot of business process that finds itself inside email. So then training sort of breaks that or slows it down and the friction is problematic. I think that might be what you're alluding to. Would you agree?
0: I absolutely agree. Uh, And and that's that's where I I disagree with a lot of the way this is put together industry-wise is to say, we have to be able to enable the business. We have to be the party that says, I want you to do everything in your power to generate revenue for the company. I want you to do it expeditiously and creatively. All of those things that the business wants you to do, and then I want to interject safely. But I don't want to get in your way. I just want to give you better ways to do it.
1: I'm going to go back to a point you made earlier, and I think it's an important one. Training versus education. Starting from the top, maybe give a definition or an example of what the difference is you think between a training program and an education program related to fishing.
0: A friend of mine taught me this, and he, he basically asked me the question. He said, do you have children? And I said, yes, I have two sons. And he said, well, think about it. When your sons are in high school, would you like them to go to sex education or sex training? And it made me realize there's a huge difference between those two things. We're educating people here. We are trying to give them knowledge. We're not trying to teach them just the steps to, to accomplish something. We're not giving them a one, two, three approach. We have to be able to transfer knowledge. And that's an education program.
1: In that type of education program, how often do you think removing some of the negative outcomes we talked about before matters? How frequently do you think a leading organization should educate their end users, uh, their employees?
0: So. Leading organizations, I can only really speak from my perspective, but we have a continuous education program. And I know that's somewhat of a buzzword, but we break up the topics, we put them into small, easy to digest chunks, and we run continuously a new topic every week. So it's tiny and we try in in everything we do to relate it to someone's personal life. We don't sit and say, this is what the industry says and and regurgitate a lot of things, but we put it in perspective of somebody's home life or or an easily understand business process. And we always try to put in that aspect, what is the difference between not doing it and doing it? Because an education program, everything that I've always said, people are like water. They're always going to take the path of least resistance. So in that light, if we can make our security program and we can educate our people in the right way that the security of the organization is the path of least resistance, it's no longer security fighting the rest of the business, it's security enabling the entire business to operate because I've got 15,000 people working to my benefit.
1: Absolutely. I heard making it personal, breaking it into small chunks, and educating on the differences between doing and not doing. Uh, within that, is there a penalty for not completing it? If I've ignored it, what, what feedback is there, if you could share?
0: No, there's no penalty at all, because it never ends. This isn't something that is, is a checkbox. It's not something that you do once and then you're done and forget. We're Again, we're trying to relay knowledge. We want our people to be more security aware. We want our people to understand. But all I can do is give the information. I can't know whether or not they comprehend it. I can't know whether or not they can bring it into their life and make a difference. All I can do is present it. And so we look at that by saying our job is to transfer that information. Our job is to give that to them within the education program. But then to use that feedback we get from them to say, oh, they understood and they asked this question or they followed up with saying, could we do X and use those as means to drive better processes and better tools for the organization.
1: Do you think information security should be more aggressive in terms of the types of email or the links or attachments that they allow? Is it that, or is it an exploration of business process?
0: Well, I'll go back to my example of HR. So if I'm the HR person and my job is recruiting and I'm bringing in resumes and I need to open those resumes, then how does information security then help that process enable that person to do their job safely? So instead of delivering to them the original format of that resume which could be word it could be pdf it could be a lot of things and those things contain security vulnerabilities and risks associated to them they can be weaponized there's lots of different things that can be done that could damage an organization even in that simple little example of delivering a resume via email what if we intercept it and i say this as a hypothetical but we do this what if we intercept that email pull the attachment out and rewrite it in our own PDF where we turn off all the programmatic ability. We take out any possibility of weaponization. We restrict what that PDF can do and look like, bundle it up, put it back in the email and send it on to the individual. Now we don't care if they open it because it's the content that they really want. We take on the effort outside of their visibility in a separate system, in a containerized environment that's protected, and we rewrite it in a safe fashion. So to them, they're just opening resumes the way they need to open. them. They're doing their job and we're enabling it. But we're now protecting them from all the weaponization problems that can come along with it.
1: Absolutely. So you are eliminating that vector, at least for that business area that might otherwise have an issue in that space, which is wise. I like that.
0: Correct. So, again, it's looking at what is it that there's job, what's their job, what do they need to be doing, what is it that you're attempting to do for their, that position, and then building the security around it to enable it as opposed to get in the way of it.
1: Let's pretend that we sit down at a dinner party at a security conference, and maybe I've had my glass of wine, and I'm talking about this wonderful phishing training program I've rolled out, and how there's penalties if mistakes are made, and how the amount of malware. Uh, from inbound messages has dropped. And so I'm reporting this to the board and I'm happy. The board's happy. You are also sitting next to me and you've had your glass or glass and a half. Um, What are the things (laughs) you say to me? Uh, We've uncovered some of this already, but is there a way that you artfully explain that back to me where I get to second guess some of this?
0: Certainly. So You can bring in those programs and and there are some effectiveness of that program. I, I can't argue that point. But what I can say is negative reinforcement only goes so far. If your objective is to reduce malware in your environment, to reduce that phishing problem in your environment, then training people the way we seem to want to do is a negative reinforcement model that simply gets to the point if you take it to its extreme, that everybody says, well, I'm just not going to open anything. So I can reduce the number, but the question is not whether I reduce the malware. The question is, is what business did I lose because of that reduction of malware? And so you've trained people in a sense not to do their job. So now you're paying somebody to sit and go, well, I'm not looking at that. I'm going to send it to the information security team. I'm not going to touch that because I'm going to send it over to them. And now they're not doing the job that's going to generate revenue. Information security is investigating multitudes of false positives because you have frightened the employee to an extent that they're unwilling to take the risk. And so what I'm saying is, is find a better way to bring that into the organization so that they do their job. They're generating the revenue. They're doing all kinds of good things for the business. And those things that are bad are being handled. And there's always got to be that feedback loop. I'm not suggesting otherwise. The employee has to have a way to communicate back the positive and the negative. Did it work? Did it not work? We're always looking for what slipped through. What did we not recognize? Was there a potential? But any good security program is not dependent on one single item. I mean, defense in depth is a reason for that. You have to have multiple places to protect the same thing. And so if we're eliminating 99.99% of phishing and malware coming through email by rewriting attachments, then what slipped through and why? What was that new technique the hacker used? What was that new thing that account- that we haven't accounted for yet? And those are the things that we now get to focus our time so to. The point you're making before with our glass of wine, it's about revenue loss and the use of resources one direction because of fear and a culture of, oh my God, if I do it wrong, I could lose my job or a culture of collaboration that says, hey, I'm doing my job. Thank you for helping me. And oh, by the way, I saw this that didn't look right. And maybe there's something that we need to address And now I can focus those other resources on looking for the new
1: and more advanced stuff. It kind of becomes a little bit of a negative marketing campaign for the security department, or it could be. Not always, but if people know that, oh, I clicked this link and I don't understand it, and now I've got to do this other training and my manager's now getting notified, they're now asking me because their boss is asking. It creates uh, certainly a drain to the day.
0: Very much so. And and again, that's all expense to the organization. It's a drain on net profit and net revenue and all those fun accounting things and what the business cares about. And mind you, I would never suggest having a difficult platform for reporting. If there's something suspicious, the user community should have it. But take that to the next step as well from a reporting. Get away from the individual person and say, you know, gamify those things about reporting. Instead of gamifying the number of people who avoided an issue, build the better process and then gamify those things like how many people reported good, solid security issues that we had to really take an effort on and congratulate the people who understood the education you put out and used it in a positive way to now improve the program. And those are the things we try to focus on. Instead of operating in the, I want you to be afraid, I don't want you to click, I don't want you to do this, we try to say, we want you to do your job to the best of your ability in every way that you can, and then turn around and say, and we also want, if you can understand this education and you start to use it in your daily life, and you're doing the right things and now report it back to us, we're starting to see that as a positive, so we're going to congratulate you and start calling out, these are the great things that are happening.
1: Extremely wise. If you have an employee who forwards a message and that starts an investigation with the IR program, if something is discovered and remediated as a result of that help, I think it's exactly the kind of thing you should reward. Uh, Maybe even a small bonus or certainly a thank you. Absolutely. I don't see that enough. I really don't. I can tell you in my prior life, there was an associate who submitted an email of a mocked up VPN landing page. It was very, very good, uh, and the investigation actually involved a nation state so if it wasn't for their help, the actual investigation could have been delayed significantly, and we needed that help
0: uh, yeah, and, and well I, I agree I mean that's the whole point of it. I mean, think about the the volume you can read all different statistics out there and and you know how many targets for you know oh, I want you to wire this amount of money or or I want you to open up this account or give me this access. And it's all phishing or target phishing, spear phishing and, and those kind of things. But to have those people go, well, wait a minute, why would he ask me for that? He's never done that before. Imagine the CEO asking an accounting clerk to do it. And the accounting clerk goes, why would he send that to me an email? That wouldn't come to me that way. Why would I even think that's valid? Let me go over here and and have somebody investigate that, as opposed to the fear of, oh, the CEO is going to get mad if I don't do it.
1: Yeah, let's use that as an example. So a situation where we're looking to persuade someone to perform an action, basically masquerading as someone else, typically around a wire or some sort of transfer. Do you have any advice for anyone who's wanting to take this sort of training versus education and apply that problem set to it?
0: Absolutely. And, and we've talked to our executive team extensively about this. And one of the things that, that we push out in that education program is a lot of companies have what they call an open door policy. But how many line level employees feel comfortable picking up the phone and calling a CFO? Probably not a lot in most organizations, at least not the ones I've spoken to. But in this organization, we've made that absolutely an acceptable act. And the CFO is responsive to that. And the CFO is is on board with that to say, we're not yelling at that person for doing it. Let's say it is legit. And he did send an email to ask that person to do something. And they questioned it. He's not getting on them for the question. He's saying, thank you for checking. Appreciate that you took a second to say, is this real? And congratulating them on doing it as opposed to, to being annoyed by it, and so we we've incorporated them into the program as well, uh, bringing people in. So, how do you do that? You you involve everybody. Again, it's about it's about education. It's about making everyone involved. And if the entire organization is working toward that same goal, security is a lot easier because you have allies helping you do it, as opposed to shadow IT, as opposed to shadow security, as opposed to this business group trying to go out and do their own thing. They're coming and going, hey, we want to do this. How can you help us? They're bringing their ideas in, giving us the opportunity to do them safely, as opposed to we're having to go hunt and say, what, what are they doing? Are they screwing up? Are they over here trying to put data out that they shouldn't? It becomes collaborative and builds a whole better environment.
1: So I've had my second glass of wine. Uh, I'm starting to come around. What are some of the other things I can go back and do? Some of it's mindset. Some of it's understanding the problem. You and I talked a bit about culture and open-door policy. What's another thing we haven't talked about that I can take back and action on?
0: So one of the things I do a lot is uh, what I call my evangelists activities. I go sit with the business. And not just the the managers uh, or directors of the business, but actually line-level employees, I have conversations with them, eat them over lunch, talk to them in their own environment, go sit down and learn their job for a day, help them do it, get a better understanding, get out of my office, go, you know, sit with the accounting clerk that may have this problem and say, how can I help you? What do you do on a daily basis? Where are you? Sit with the project team, sit with the gaming people, sit with our sales people and, and whatnot and do these things regularly. So one, they build a trust in the program, they build a trust in the person. And they also get an open line of communication, right? They, If they walk up and my door is open, and they don't know me, the likelihood that they're going to walk in is minimal. But if I've gone around and they've seen me around their department or They've seen me working with their peers. They're going to walk in and introduce themselves. And I have people do that all the time, and I love it. They come in and say, hi, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so, and and this is the department I work in. And I'm like, fantastic. How can we help you do your job better? And that's a lot of where the the question starts, because we want to be able to bring them into our world in the right way and begin that program of education and, and assistance and collaboration so that we're moving forward in the right directions.
1: So with this culture that you're talking about, uh, it starts really with you and your personality. Uh, We're talking about fishing. We're talking about negative outcomes. What's something that you've discovered that was unexpected through all of what we've just talked about? Was there someone who brought you something that was completely unexpected? Can you share that with us if you could?
0: Sure. One of the most fun stories I talk about Is our internet connected IoT ovens. Everybody talks about IoT devices, but nobody ever brought it to my mind that we might have an oven that was connected to the internet and to service. And basically, it allows you to download a recipe, and the oven itself can program itself based on temperature and time and quantity and and several different variables to ensure that the meal is perfect. And and that's what we're about, that perfect meal, that perfect experience. But as we began to talk and they brought this to me, I realized, what if somebody got into that and altered it? I mean, it's, it's a culmination of not just IoT and security, but it's our reputation that's on the line. It's public health that's on the line. Imagine if it's a chicken dish and I can make the cook believe that it was properly done, but I was under degree by 20 degrees or 30 degrees. I could actually make somebody sick from this internet connected oven as opposed to doing it for the benefit of the company. And so really being able to get involved in that and say, well, how would we protect that? And working with the company that that puts them out and understanding some newer technologies that are... Still in the works, and and I can't really discuss on this, but being able to be a part of that and say, how can we do it better? How can we protect our guests, protect their experience, protect their meal, but also protect their health and safety?
1: Uh, No, I love it. I would have never thought that. (laughs) So now we know that the wind has some pretty advanced cookware. Yeah. I want to get one more technical thing, if we could, for the listener, if at all possible. We talked about rewriting documents uh, and providing them to HR. Is there anything else that, without getting too detailed, that you would recommend somebody explore if they wanted to be a little more aggressive?
0: Absolutely. And it's not just about documents. But if if you think about a lot of the primary activities of any user in any organization, Two of the biggest things that, it, that the end user is going to deal with, one is email attachments, things like that that we've already discussed, and the other is browsing the web. And so if there was anything I would you know just tell security professionals to go investigate is browser isolation platforms. Understand that it's not just about rewriting documents and emails and things as they come inbound to the organization, but also look at the outbound activity of the user going out and exploring the web, understand, and it's a legitimate job function, right? They're they're trying to find information or trying to understand what they're doing, working with a a vendor or supplier or whatnot. But that is a dangerous environment and it's weaponized. And to be able to do a browser isolation that can offer inordinate protection by offloading the render and only giving them a safe copy of the render is a
1: game-changing environment today. Thank you for that. I think that's extremely helpful, especially with a lot of what we face in the delivery, uh, either through inbound or egress. A lot of what you're referencing is culture and personality. Do you think that information security as a whole has a problem here? Have we, in some cases, championed kind of IQ and maybe not EQ, emotional intelligence? Do you think uh, there's any of that that happens?
0: I think in some organizations, I mean, every organization is different. Every CISO is different. And company cultures are different. And so I think that uh, information security has to adapt to that within their organization and also promote the change that's necessary. There, I think that, that we do get a bad rap in some cases because, unfortunately, we're in the position that we have to say no sometimes. But I think some of the, the environments take that to the extreme. I mean, I've heard the nickname the CISNO. So, you know, because that's all the, the information security team ever seems to do is say no. But I think that's more the issue than, than the rest of it. It's, it's building the culture to your organization. I, I mean, what works for Wynn may not work for a different organization 100%. But if you understand the business and you understand the people, and your objective is to enable the business safely, and you're working toward those goals, I don't see how it can go wrong. The, the idea that you only are going to tell somebody what they can't do and never tell somebody what they can do is the wrong position. I spend other people's money well. I'm not a revenue center, but I know the revenue centers, and I want them to do extraordinarily well so I can spend more of their money. <laughs> I mean, that's the real objective.
1: <laughs> very, very well said. I've got one more question for you, and hopefully it's an easy one. Next time I'm out in Las Vegas uh, and I'm at the Wynn, we already know you've got great ovens. Uh, where's the best place for a great steak?
0: SW. It's the number one steakhouse in Las Vegas, and that's not me. That's all the, the people. I actually don't eat red meat. And so I, everybody tells me that is the best place, though, is SW Steakhouse
1: at the Wynn. let's run that question back a little bit then tell me the best sushi place
0: that would be mizumi there are there are great sushi places all over this city but mizumi is the absolute best in my opinion the freshest sushi the the atmosphere everything about it is just amazing it's my favorite sushi place in town and not just because i work here because i truly do believe it's the best
1: Well, perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. This was absolutely excellent. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much, David. Well, thank you. That concludes this episode of the new CISO. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more episodes, suggest a topic or nominate a guest, please visit exabeam.com forward slash podcast.